Ladies and gentlemen, leaders everywhere, people in our community and beyond, welcome back to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Chris Panetta. As always, we are downtown in Salem, Oregon, in studio. Salem is home to the Groundwork Leadership Institute. We are so excited to have this institute in our community. We're just starting out a little over a year into it. Our goal was to raise the tide of leaders in our community, so that's what we sought out to do. We felt like we're going to be intentional about that. Let's create a leadership institute to house knowledge and information about what leadership means, how to lead from the ground up to have lasting, impactful change. And so we created this institute. It's funded through our philanthropic endeavors. We're not charging people to participate. We just want to give this institute to the community. And it sounds like we are experts and we're, we know it all. We're not uh, sure we know a thing or two about leadership through our combined years of experience, but we don't claim to know it all. We don't claim to be the experts, uh, which is why we have this podcast. We want to learn from as many leaders in our community as possible and even outside of our community. Uh, we have guests, well-known authors, uh, well-known thought leaders that we also invite to participate in this capacity, but we are so excited for today. We're so excited for our guests. Uh, we have the superintendent of our school district, the Salem-Kaiser School District, joining us today. Very timely. She just got an award. Uh, she was the superintendent of the year award here in Oregon, which is quite the uh, recognition. We also are going to have our co-host join us here in just a few moments, Salam Noor, who worked for in education for many years uh, and is a dear friend to Christy uh, Perry, who is our guest. Christy Perry is a friend of mine. So excited to have her here. Uh, this is going to be a great episode. And before we begin, before we get them in here, I, I just want to acknowledge once again all the families and individuals that have been impacted by the fires over the recent few weeks. Thoughts and prayers go out to them. I hope the best for them. And also hats off to all the incredible men and women and individuals in our community that have stepped up to help and support. So we have an incredible community. We can always get better, but we have some incredible people here. So with that, let's get these two individuals here in studio with us, and we'll go from there. All right, we're back, and we have uh, Christy and Salam. Uh, Salam's our co-host, as as all of you know, uh, in the room now. And Christy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Christy, I gave you an intro um, before we started, and uh, you know I've known you for a few years since being here. You just recently got... Uh, superintendent of the year. And I, I know you probably don't like talking about yourself, but that's that's a pretty, you know, great recognition and uh, to, to receive and quite the award. Um, so there's that. And you've been a superintendent uh, for the Salem-Kaiser School District for how long? Uh, this started my seventh year. Okay. And before that, Dallas? Before I was in Dallas. So this is the start of my 16th year as an Oregon superintendent. Wow. That's awesome. Well, go ahead and give us a more thorough intro to, yeah. to who you are and, and what you do. Gosh, I think you already covered it, but um, Christy Perry, superintendent, Salem-Kaiser School District. And Salem-Kaiser is the second largest uh, district in Oregon. We have the most students that are diverse students, most students living in poverty, most students learning English of any district in the state. And so this is my 16th year as an Oregon superintendent before I was in Dallas, Oregon. Um, but um, I think my claim to fame is that I uh, grew up in a small coastal community called Reedsport. And there's a few of us who think that um, all good things come from Reedsport. So um, small town girl who um, now leads a really large uh, school district in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, anything else uh, about you that that uh, would be 
fun to know for, for any listeners? Well, fun to know. Um, I don't like talking about superintendent of the year, but um, the thing I um, really appreciated about that and the way they gave it to me was that uh, they gave it the award in front of the entire district in an all district staff meeting. So about three to 4,000 people watched. That was uh, super honoring, but also um, the chance to think about impact outside of my impact in my own school district. When I heard from uh, my own colleagues around the state and the impact I had made on them, that was um, surprising, honoring, humbling all at the same time when you realize that there's others out there that you hardly know that um, you've somehow impacted their life. Yeah. So that was um, the part of that that was um, the most kind of surprising. Yeah, to me. You, you never know, you know who's who's watching, mm-hmm. and especially a leader like you that's really kind of on the front and center all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, people yeah. are watching. Um, yeah, that's that's a great point. When I was a uh, when I was in college and as an athlete, I didn't know this. I don't know why I didn't know this, but when they gave conference awards out, it was the same thing. It was like coaches coaches in the conference picked. And uh, I was, you know, honored enough to get uh, an award and I didn't know that, but I had the same thought as, well, I didn't know. <laughs> I must have left an impression on opposing, you know, opposing uh, uh, um, teams and their coaches for them to give me, uh, you know, nominate me for an award like that. But And you're not competing with other districts, but the same principle of people are watching what you do and, and how you carry yourself, it, it made me stop and think about that that concept. For- yeah, and it's, um, I think it's important uh, for leaders, but it's important for all of us to realize any little or big thing we do, it still has impact. And so I think um, to always be thinking about what is your impact in everything is a critical leadership lesson. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for that intro. Um, you know, the only thing else I would add is since since moving here to Salem, you were one of the first leaders that I met, and I've always been very impressed by you and and I value our our friendship. So yeah. thanks. Glad that you can you could be on. Thanks. And Salam, I know you've known Christy much longer than I have. Uh, what uh, anything you want to add? Well, just to say congratulations thanks. again, and uh, we've talked before, so I'm really happy for you. I'm happy for us as a community because yeah. this is a recognition for you for your leadership for your team. And for our district. So um, well done. And um, I'm really excited about this podcast because we get to learn about you and about your leadership and you lead in a very complex organization with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to this and I'm just delighted to be a uh, part of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, And I I think that's a great starting point, actually. You know, I was thinking about uh, you being here and we've had other leaders on and they've all led in different capacities throughout their careers. Um, but I think you're our first that is leading an organization of this size, you know, of this magnitude where there's 40 something, you said it just yeah. a minute ago, 42,000 42, kids, kids about and six to 7,000 employees. employees. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of, of people. That's a lot of lives. Uh, just what's that, what's that like? Just take that wherever you'd like. What is that like to lead an organization of that size? Well, um, so first of all, it's extremely complex. And it's um, what's tricky. I think what's what was hardest and easiest for me all at the same time is that I lead from a relationship stance. Mm -hmm. And so how do you lead from a relationship stance when you have so many people 
and you can't know their names, you can't know where they work, you, you know, all those pieces that are part of building a relationship. And so that was kind of that hard part um, that in transitioning from a smaller district yeah. where I knew everyone's mm-hmm. name and I knew people's kids. And uh, so that was hard, but it was also um, what helped me really transition well at the same time, because I'm just naturally uh, curious about um, people and who they are. And at my, I think at my fundamental core, I believe that 99.99% of the people show up to work every day wanting to do the right thing in the right way and um, change students' lives. Mm -hmm. And when you believe from when that's your core value, then um, it really helps you, um, I think, lead from that relationship uh, stance. So that's been um, kind of the trick in Salem-Kaiser. And what I've found finally in covid is uh, I've figured out kind of the platform for leading from a relationship standpoint in a large and complex organization. So since the start of COVID, I have done weekly all district staff meetings. Mm And that happened was happening at least once a week, even through the summer. It, I've heard about those two from <laughs> teachers, and they love them. They do, yeah. And so um, it's the it's the talk of the town, yeah, right? They get to see you. They too. get to I mean, see me. They get to see, me. see, get to see yeah. me as a person, and I don't shy away in those situations from being a person. Yeah. And that's the part that pre-COVID I didn't really have. So I would enter something, and I would be the superintendent, yeah. and I wouldn't be Christy. Mm-hmm. And it's much harder to um, lead people at as the superintendent than it yeah. is for me to lead people as Christy. So um, I've used that as a way to um, kind of pull and help the organization through this very complex um, pandemic. And mm-hmm. it's a leadership um, place that I won't leave from after the pandemic. Um, and so I was sure that they knew me as a person. I'm sure that they, I was sure that they knew my um, struggles. Yeah. Um, I told them when I uh, struggled, I told them when I was paralyzed, I told them when I cried, I cried in front of them, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I also told them how I got out of that spot because in a pandemic, we've all gotten to that spot yeah. where we like don't know what to do the next day. And so I uh, modeled you know, here's what I do for getting myself out of that. Here's what I do for resilience. Here's here's what I did this weekend. Oh, here's a picture of my grandbaby. Yeah. Um, all that um, personal stuff. But I used it as a way to help keep the organization moving forward in the toughest of times. Yeah. So um, that's been, I think, because of COVID, I've gotten to be even a stronger leader in a complex mm-hmm. organization and learning that, um, when you speak with one voice from the top of the organization, then everyone can hang their next moves on those. So at the beginning of COVID, we set out weekly objectives. Week one was care and connection. Your job is to care and connect. Your job is to call families. Mm-hmm. All this week is, is care and connection. And people knew what the objective was for the week. Yeah. Um, so as we move out of a less emergency place, I won't have those weekly meetings, but the organization knows me. They know what my expectations are. They know what my heart is and they know who I am as a person. And it makes it so much easier at the end of the day. Yeah. No, that's, I'm glad you you brought that up. That makes so much sense of how, you know, what you've learned uh, just during this pandemic Mm -hmm. of, of how to, because it sounds like that was a challenge for you when you first came to a large district was how do I build relationships and have this 
more of an intimate setting with individuals when there's so many because it's 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 we could say it's impossible to get to know every single one of the five to seven thousand mm-hmm. employees and all the kids. Um, but there's got to be other ways to get at that level. And, and so I like what you've done. And I want to I'll probably keep coming back to this example. But another thing I wanted to highlight as well was um, and this is this just is across the board as hard as the pandemic and everything that's been going on in 2020 has been. There's been some really uh, important learning for me, at least, and one of which is what you've mentioned is is it's caused us to not take for granted some of the things that we used to, such as maybe a picture of your you know of your your grandbaby, and that that's what makes you who you are, and sharing that and being able to share that with others because now you know when we're zooming all the time right. or, or having video conference in whatever platform we use, people are in their homes and there's people there's kids running around in the back, there's things on the wall, and it it just uh, even if it's a little bit, it just humanizes others to us. And so um, I, I love that. And I think that a, a lot of leaders can learn from from that, that we can't always just put on our, I got to go to work. So I got to put on my superintendent hat today and leave who I am at home. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're always the same person and, and to, to not be afraid of that. So I yeah. think that's been and a I, crucial I did, learning. Yeah. This and year. I, I think it is for everyone. And it's so, it's, it's, it's humanized so much is even though we feel so socially separate mm-hmm. right now we're still have many more human connections because we know more about people and who they are just because of in zoom meetings from home yeah mm-hmm. and and we have to be we have to be intentional about so much more uh where before we could get by kind of just going through the motions we can't get by going through the motions because the motions have changed and so if i want to understand somebody, I have to be a lot more intentional now to understand them. Like you said, the curiosity and the building relationships that you gave, the connection, I can't remember what you said, but to your teachers of we need to connect with the kids. We have to be so much more intentional. Kids aren't coming to us. They're not showing up. We can't just, they can't just be a name on a paper. They have to be so much more to us now. We have to be more intentional about it. So that's another positive thing that's come from this. I'm going to jump in here, Christy. And, and, um, I live in this community, so I want to thank you for your leadership as a parent and as a community member as well. And uh, you will you will quickly discover that one of the roles that I play in these p- podcasts is bringing us back to the rooted leadership framework, a framework that we're extremely fond of and we believe applies to every context, whether it's public sector, private mm-hmm. sector, nonprofit, et cetera. And I think it applies to us personally. And what you just described in terms of your journey to... Um, to not only seeing people, because you always see people, is just letting them see you in a more humanized way, if you will, uh, that brought them comfort and and reassurance that things are going to be okay and that everybody is going through the same struggles. So the Rooted Leadership Framework has a key component, which is soil. It consists of three components, soil, seeds, and weeds, and they are all interdependent. And the soil section has uh, a very important component, and that is accountability. But we think about it in terms of breaking up the soil. And you talked about the five some thousand employees that you have in the district, and we think of soil as people and the mindset of people. But as leaders, we have to start with ourselves. And, And I just want to ask you to reflect a little bit through the lens of soil because the transformation that you described really started with you mm-hmm. and you've demonstrated how um, you're being accountable to to them, but you're being accountable to yourself, to who you are. 
and the type of leadership you needed to provide in the moment. And it takes a lot of humility, in my opinion, and vulnerability to be willing to put yourself out there. Uh, but you did it and, and good for you. And I believe it's good for the district mm -hmm. and the community. So long intro, forgive me, but if you can talk a little bit about it through the context of soil, what, what, do, you, what, what do you consider to be the soil of the district, if you will, as you lead and inspire and motivate people to be their best every day? Hmm. I have to think about that a little bit, because I guess, um, are you asking about, is it an assessment of, of the soil or how do I continue to hold myself accountable for um, that kind of outward mindset, I guess, is what I would call it. Seeing people as people, is it? That, that's a good question. And it's really not accountability in the traditional sense, but you operate in an environment currently that required that you change your leadership and you spoke to that. Mm -hmm. So if you're expecting people to change the way they lead, especially whether they're building leaders, I think you asked teachers to lead in this new environment, in this new context. So you started with yourself. You made the change first and you modeled that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be seen as vulnerable. Um, and that's how we describe accountability yeah. is that before we ask people to change, we have to change ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, especially, we have to, embr to embrace that head on. And I believe you have. So um, what was your thinking? And you touched on that a little bit, but what was your thinking and did it actually inspire the type of change in the leaders that you work with right. every day? Yeah, I think the, um, I think that has been a, um, I, I've probably been uh, fertilizing the soil for uh, a number of years, probably since the day I walked in. And the day I walked into the organization, I um, said, I, I believe in people. I believe in being kind. I believe here's my set of beliefs. And then I've really kind of fertilized that soil with starting with my closest leaders mm -hmm. into my um, the bigger administrative team now out to teachers. And and I think even the modeling of vulnerability, I did pretty well with my the, my closest confidence. But when you go outside that, that every step you take outside is uh, gives you more risk in some ways. So um, then, um, so I've moved that from there to a bigger administrative team, which is about 165 people. And um, anytime I was in front of any of my principal groups, I um, am really sure I model. Um, you know, vulnerability, humiliate, uh, humility, kindness. Yeah. And even in tough, tough conversations, I am direct yet kind. And I show up, if I ever show up outside of that model for myself, I hold myself accountable to circling back around and either apologizing or correcting behavior. Cause all of us get frustrated, um, mm -hmm. impatient, but I um, am really intentional about that. Those are my core values. And if I step outside of those, I'm going to correct them. Yeah. And I'll correct them in front of uh, my administrative team. So I have been known, and this was mid-COVID, but I showed up one week to my administrative meeting, which was also once a week, 165 people. And I was tired. And I was tired. And I was a little impatient. For Not big impatient, but a little impatient. But what happened out of that is that then I have 165 leaders that now believe that they can show up tired and impatient. Mm -hmm. So I had to circle right back around the very next week to say, hey, I was not my best self last week. Here's what I did. And here's the impact on you. Yeah. And when you show up 
I, I can't impact you that way as a leader. And therefore you can't impact your, your staff that way. So I, I try to model those leadership lessons because the only way that soil will be good um, and be um, in a really healthy place in a healthy climate place is if every leader models that way and every teacher does that. So, um, and it's for that, this large of an organization that is a continual you just have to keep at it with that and to be quick to show up to say, nope, I wasn't my best self. And and then I also admit that in front of yeah. 5,000 people on, on a district-wide staff meeting to say, hey, here's last week where I didn't show up as my best self and here's how it impacted the organization and here's what I'm going to do to make it um, better next time or get myself back on track because they're, they're going to have that same moment in front of kids yeah. where they become impatient, mm-hmm. they're tired, they don't show up as their best self. And we'll all have those. But how do you then come back around to that to um, say to your kids, what do you do when you don't show up as your best self? Yeah. So I, I love, I was going to actually ask you if you have an example <laughs> and you shared that story. So I'm really glad you did. And I'm, I'm even more glad that you shared that because I've, I've had that same conversation with a lot of leaders in terms of accountability. You know, it's how do we uh, hold our people accountable is is how they're constantly asking it. And especially when they've been introduced to something like outward mindset or this idea of seeing people as people is, is they, there's almost this, this, uh, uh, you know, this, this conflict in their brain of, well, I want to, I want to hold people accountable, but I want to be mean, you know? Uh, and that's really a, a, you know, that's really a battle of behavior versus mindset, which is another conversation. But what I'm trying to say is, is a lot of leaders have have talked to me, and I've been in these conversations about how do we hold our people accountable. Um, and you just answered it. Is I believe one of the best teachers of accountability is not saying, "Hey, you should all do this or follow these rules." And if you don't, you know, that's what we think. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of accountability. Is I need to tell people and get and hold people accountable when they're not doing their job. When I think the best teacher of accountability is what you just shared is when you don't do what you should, or when you're not how you should be, you don't show up in the way that you should show up, that you get out in front of it. Before anybody else can get out in front of it, you get out in front of it. And and when and you do it publicly, you know, in the setting that was appropriate for you, you told them, I didn't show up um, the best way that I could have last week. And that's on me. When you do that, it's teaching them the same principle that they need to do. That's what accountability is. They need to do the very same thing. And so I, I love that story. And Anybody that's listening that has questions about how do you create accountable people, that's how you create accountable people because too often leaders spend their time holding others accountable instead of creating accountable people. How do you create accountable people? You just gave an example. You're accountable first and then you get out in front of it and other people see that example and they follow. And I, I, I love that. So I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, Salam, any follow-up questions? Uh, I actually, yes, but it okay. moves us to another, yeah. it moves us to another section of the rooted leadership. And it's something that you touched on already, Christy. You said from day one, when you came to the Salem-Kaiser School District, you started to cultivate the soil. And the cultivation of the soil uh, really involves seeing people on the one hand as a big part of the mindset of the organization, but the cultivation of the soil also lends itself to priorities, goals, initiatives. So as a leader, what what drives you when you when you say you're cultivating the soil? Um, how does the cultivation 
help you in determining your priorities, what's important to you, what's important to your organization. And is that an ongoing process for you? I mean, you said since day one, you've been cultivating the soil and I trust you're still cultivating. So talk a little bit about how that, uh, what that looks like in a, in a large complex organizations like the Salem-Kaiser School District. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's always tricky because um, we are, because the, the true outcomes are student achievement outcomes, kids graduating from high school, kids being ready and prepared for a career in college. So those are your outcomes. So you have to keep that at the center and at your vision kind of at the core and your eye on that all the time, while at the same time knowing that the best way to impact kids' lives is by seeing them as people Mm -hmm. and then providing them rigorous content. So, um, and it's the tension is, do you work on people or do you focus on outcomes first? And in some ways you have to focus on both. Um, so the, um, the cultivation of the soil and the, and the growth of people and people as leaders, all people in the organization as leaders, that has to happen from day one, but that will always have to happen. You won't ever, I don't think you ever arrive with a well um, fertilized, very rich soil. I don't think you ever get there because um, people are people mm-hmm. and you always, and you have changes and you get focused maybe on something else or something divert your attention, COVID, wildfires, you know, yeah. divert your attention. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, you've got to add more fertilizer to the soil. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been really intentional about our outward mindset work, our paying attention to people as people, um, and to really have language around it, but to continue to fertilize the soil while at the same time, really look at how do you improve outcomes for kids? So it's a both and and an always. Um, and any a new initiative has to fit in some ways into one of those um, two buckets. Uh, one of the thing we really need to work on, our next really big thing is around um, school safety and um, school discipline. And how do we um, show up differently in school safety and school discipline? And that starts with people and people's beliefs in kids and people's beliefs in the inclusion of kids instead of the exclusion of kids. So while we know that changing discipline practice will affect outcomes, we also know that that is the cultivation of the soil and the attitudes of people. So um, again, when you have that in there, you have to think about what do we do for the soil work? And also what's the the kind of the more pragmatic steps of changing Mm -hmm. the system? Yeah. So it's both and on both of them. Yeah, I I uh, I appreciate the dialogue and the distinction between, you know, the people, the kids, and then also the, you know, the results um, the that you're trying to achieve, which ultimately ends, you know, in our kids graduating, and are we preparing them to get there? And what I've noticed working over the last few years in education, and and I'll say to any listeners, I am I'm a novice in education. I'm sitting here with two individuals who spent their whole career in education, but what I've noticed uh, just working with schools. For example, some of our, uh, you know, support, and I didn't give a whole lot of support. I was just part of it, like a fly on the wall to some of the uh, high schools here, North and McKay, and their their endeavor to um, increase graduation rates, which they did, and there was a lot of success there. Um, I just noticed being a part of it that 
that would be impossible to do unless they cultivated their soil and began to really deeply see kids as people. And it's not like educators show up and don't want to see kids as people, but there's a lot of things that get it, you know, that make it more challenging, get in the way, different whatever systems, processes, procedures that either are existent and in the way or that don't exist that could support it um, in, in the endeavor to see kids as people. And, and so it's a really simple concept, but that's one of the things that I loved about it is there was all sorts of things that went into it. And I, Salam can speak better than this because he was, you know, right there in the thick of it. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of new ideas and seeds planted to help kids graduate. But if you, if you really look at it, it didn't happen without the soil being cultivated first. And I think that's such a vital thing for any leader to understand is a seed isn't going to fix the problem of our soil. <laughs> the attention of our soil and giving the attention to our soil is going to fix the problem, not a seed. Um, and a seed's not going to get rid of a weed. We got to get deep into the soil, get to the very root of that that weed and 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 pull it out from there, not just yank it off at the top. So um, I, I love that you brought that up because that's just what I've noticed being a, you know an observer to some of the work in education. And it's really easy to have uh, lots of initiatives, mm-hmm. but lots of initiatives without a really rich soil, a rich, um, you know, fabulous group of educators that care about kids and show up and see kids as people. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter which initiative. It yeah. Is. Do you do you have an example with that comment you just made? Do you have an example of? And it doesn't have to be specific if you don't have one, but an example of when there was a really great seed, a really great idea or a really great initiative, but it didn't work because the soil wasn't cultivated yet. Do you have an example, whether you were a part of it or something that you knew about? Yeah, there's probably a bunch of examples. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't pull out just one. Yeah. Well, you know, I am thinking about North and McKay. They had, they wanted, they wanted strong graduation rates. And part of it was um, a system of really paying attention to the kids that weren't on track. So the system was missing. Um, But without, um, if we just would have done this, uh, had the system at North and McKay without some of that cultivation of the soil and those mentors for kids, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Uh, Kids wouldn't have shown up to (laughs) get through those last credits without the adult that they knew cared about them. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. So I think that's an example of what did work, but in part because uh, we were really intentional about yeah. the soil. Well, and, and you know, for uh, it, if it wasn't working until a certain point, it means that there were seeds that were being planted before that were just bearing no fruit. Um, and, and so that, you know, that I think was the, we're, we're putting it very simply, there was a lot of time and energy that went right. into this, but that was one of the missing ingredients was, are we going to start cultivating the soil at deep levels so that these seeds that are proven to work, I mean, they've worked in other areas, but why isn't it working for us? We got to cultivate the soil. We need to start seeing and deeply seeing in ways we haven't before and, yeah. and creating systems that, that take the kids into account that we haven't before. Yes. Um, and that's what it sounds like happened. Mm-hmm. Salam, sorry, I cut you off. No, I was um, I was going to ask Christy to talk about a couple of other examples within the district, but I think the North and, and McKay one are very aptly uh, related here because 
uh, these are districts uh, his, that historically have had a lot of initiatives. Yes, lots and of these, seeds. Yeah, <laughs> and lots of seeds, essentially. And these initiatives come from the right place. You know, they're intended to be solutions to help kids be successful, to improve the learning experiences of students, to improve the learning environment of the school, if you will. Um, but I think the soil piece is really, really important because the soil gets at at why we're doing things, not just what we're doing, but why are we doing it? Uh, do we have the desire for it to be successful? Because sometimes we have desire, but we just don't have the the right environment or the right culture. Sometimes it takes seeing each other slightly differently. So your colleague is your partner in this work rather than just somebody that you're both are in the same struggle towards these kids that you know we're trying to help be successful. So I think that the culture is really, really important, and that's one of the indicators of good, healthy soil. I, what I wanted to touch on, really, Christy, is the complexity of the world that you operate in, especially when we talk about uh, soil, because we tend to, to think of soil relative to the adults that work in the system, but you actually have more kids than adults in the system. <laughs> so there, there is a, an overwhelming majority of of sort of representation of the kids, their values, their beliefs, their attitudes, um, their goals, hopes, dreams, aspirations, you name it. And that is a really big factor of soil because we can work on the adults, but if we don't pay attention to the kids, and that's what I appreciate about you, you're constantly thinking about the kids and 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 you speak, that's your language. You speak often of that and you have um, efforts in place to promote healthy soil for kids, but you think of them as part of your soil. You can't really move this large ship without taking into that into consideration. So how do you balance that in terms of what the kids need um, and what the adults need? And sometimes those two are really not one and the same. And those two could lead to some conflict. And it's not just intellectual, conceptual conflict. It could actually be real conflict that makes it difficult to have healthy soil. So would you speak to that if you don't yeah, mind? Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the way I handle, the way I do it is I, I do have to have that lens on what is it. At the end of the day, kids being successful has to be my primary job. And I know that healthy soil for the adults helps create healthy conditions for kids, mm -hmm. but the two don't always um, go hand in hand. So, um, and for me, that means I have to keep really close, as close as I can in a large complex organization where I have, I, I probably have five layers between myself and kids. And so I have to have ways that I hear from kids, learn about kids, know what kids are thinking and feeling um, in ways um, both system wide, but sometimes just on an individual basis because it centers your work back on the right work, which is the work of kids. So um, and to be uh, create a environment where the organization trusts you enough that you can be unapologetic about this is a direction we're going because it's the right thing for kids, even though it's going to be hard for the adults in the system. And um, even hard in this environment of starting school again, where um, the adults are uh, so struggling with, are we ready? And we just had to start, even though the start was bumpy and rough uh, for kids 
they needed us to start, even if it wasn't perfect. So it's creating the trust within the organization that when you make the decision that feels a little contrary to what many adults are thinking and feeling or want, that they'll go with you because they trust that the decision you're making is is what's best for uh, students. So really always centering uh, your work around that. Um, and in part, I, you know, I have some student advisory committees that I interact with. Even when you did the plus 10 work, I tried to understand that. And I tried to be sure that I heard the kids' stories because uh, the stories shape uh, me as an educator mm-hmm. and me as a leader. And it's why we show up, show up in this really complex um, organization called school uh, to do the work. So we have to keep that um, in our forefront. But they, the, two, the two competing needs can um, create conflict in the system. And sometimes you have to err on the side of, not err, but you have to make a decision that is an adult decision in the temporary in order to get the best outcome for kids. And sometimes you have to make the best, the decision that's best for kids in the forefront as the adults are catching up mm. to that. And it, and it, it just depends on the decision. Uh, when we were in the midst of wildfires, it made all kinds of sense to slow down the start of school for a couple of days. When we got through that, it was in time to start. Um, and, and there's decisions probably like that, that we make um, every day. Where's the, the healthy tension in the system that helps educators feel supported and be ready to show up every day. Yeah. We're touching on the weeds section here because, because you know, you've, you've used the word conflict and that's really what it is. And sometimes conflict, as we were talking earlier, is not always bad. I mean, it's good to have some tension. It could be creative tension. It could be uh, just part of the relationship and the dynamics that exist relative to innovations or things that we're trying to do that push and pull on us. So conflict isn't always bad, but what I just heard you say here at the end is that the soil allows you to do that. Having good, healthy soil where people know that you're an authentic leader, you lead with purpose, you lead with intention, allows you to um, be a little bit more direct relative to the conflict and allows you to make decisions that supersede the conflict between different parts of the system in, in essence. And I think uh, at times even having a place where you call out the conflict or even recognize that I know you feel angry right now and there's people that are angry within the system, um, but here's the why. And it's okay to feel this way for a little bit, and but you also have to get past that. So I speak to that often either within my leadership group or within my district events to say here's the here's what we're experiencing now and here's what we're feeling and we've got to push through that in order to get to the next uh space. Um and I think if you don't have some conflict it's also a, a sign of your system isn't healthy mm-hmm. because it's there and it's underground. So it's it's growing weeds under the soil. And they're really deep before they're going to pop up. And when they pop up, they grow fast and furious at that point. Um, So health, part of a healthy organization is healthy conflict. Uh, I was listening to some comments, uh, public comments in the boardroom, and I got a a text message from someone says, that is a sign of a really healthy organization when um, an employee is saying hard things. And I was like, you're right. And that you just sit there and accept them and take them in as pieces of information Mm -hmm. um, that help you make decisions. 
Yeah. If you surround yourself with people that think like you and tell you the things you want to hear all the time and are never even in conflict with you, um, it's not a it's not a healthy leadership platform either. Yeah. And in our in our framework, you know, the rooted framework, uh, I gravitate to in enjoying to talk about the weeds section because my my background in conflict but you know uh in working in conflict especially specifically conflict transformation we try to see conflict as neutral a lot of times we have this negative perspective of it um and it doesn't have to be uh and and it's neither positive either it's neutral and what we decide to do with it is determine you know determines if it's going to be negative or positive and and the same thing with our analogy in fact, Salam just a couple of weeks ago with our leadership cohort, he was sharing an example of tomatoes and planting his tomatoes and and how no matter how much he works on his soil to help grow these tomatoes, weeds are going to pop up. And and that's okay. I mean, weeds pop up. It's just a natural product of soil. It's a, nat- it's a natural phenomenon of people. We're all different. We have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different cultures. And so we're going to disagree and conflict or is going to pop up. And it's not a bad thing, but it's what we do with it. Because we can take a conflict, we can let a weed grow and never address it, and it festers and festers. And then the next time we look at our soil, our tomato plant is dying because it's sucking all of the nutrients out of it. And conflict can do that. And conflict can spiral out of control to the point to where we need to completely start over. That's when organizations fall apart. That's when there's massive changes in leadership. And, and, and it's because the conflict got so big that it consumed everything. And so that's when conflict becomes negative. But the little the little conflict that sprouts up where there's differences of opinion are good because it you know why it brings us back to our soil well we actually need to go back to to cultivating it and pay attention to people um because uh that's what the soil is um and so i so i i love that but i had i had a question this might be a weird question but i think it's an important one to ask and for other leaders to consider and your answer might be interesting due to the size of your organization but from my perspective when I look at organizations, they seem to invest a lot of time and resources into seeds, meaning into their ideas, their initiatives, their programs, their products. Uh, and they end up investing a lot of time into the weeds when the weeds grow. Um, and I never see intentional investment in the soil when that's actually, you know, according to our analogy and our framework, you know, we claim that's the most important thing. And so just looking at your organization, you know, from a very practical, objective perspective, um, what, I mean, what does investment look like to your soil versus something like the seeds or the weeds in terms of even personnel and people hired to do the job? Cause I know you have curriculum specialists that they, all they focus on is new initiatives, new curriculum to implement versus who in the, in the organization, their job is to cultivate the soil. What's the balance or yeah. is there one? Yeah. I don't know if I could tell you percentage balance, but I do think in my time, we've gotten um, fewer seeds. I think we we love a, a laundry list of initiatives. Yeah. And so we've gotten fewer seeds. We do invest a lot in professional development. And I, th- I see that as um, cultivating the soil mm-hmm. if it's not initiative-based professional development. And you can get into that too. We've got this new initiative. So we're going to train on it versus really helping people be strong professionals and um, grow and learn at the yeah. at the things they need to grow and learn in. So it's hard to say, but it's always something you have to keep your eye on and to really uh, 
kind of fight that because people love initiatives. Yeah. Well, they're tangible. You get to see. You get to see them. You get to check a box. It's done. Look at that. I did this. And we want the tomatoes. I mean, I want the tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. We want want to see it. We want to, you know, experience the outcome. Um, And and so it's really easy to put our attention and focus there and overlook the soil. But it's it's something that I see all the time. And especially when I work in conflict, it's usually, you know, when we the deeper we dig, the more we realize, well, there there was a time period, whether it's still going or if it was just in the past where soil wasn't being cultivated and allow a weed to grow. And, and, and oftentimes it was because there was no intentionality in, in, in the cultivation of the soil. And it, I think sometimes when you, from a resource, people don't understand the, uh, the money behind developing people mm-hmm. and cultivating the soil. And so um, people will gravitate towards that's not worth the investment because that seems like it's an extra, it's a fluff yeah. when really it's the fun, uh, foundational investment. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard because, you know, outward mindset doesn't tie then to, oh, I'm going to improve graduation outcomes where uh, ninth grade success teams and yeah. investing in those, we can see tie the, them right back. we can tie yeah. them right back to the outcomes. Yeah. yeah. And so that's really, it's really hard. And we love stuff that's research-based mm-hmm. and research-based on humans and hu- and cultivating the soil and how you show up is a little more sparse than yeah. some other type initiative. Yeah. And, and Chrissy, you just touched on something that is absolutely uh, crucial in, in our opinion relative to leadership. And especially for those that are in leadership position, you said developing people. So how do you draw a distinction between developing people as soil work compared to seeds or initiative work? And, um, and I can elaborate on that if you want me to, but, but the idea is that that is part of our responsibility as leaders. So how do you approach that in terms of um, your cultivation of the soil, which is developing really highly competent, capable leaders? And it's not just a one-time event. It's ongoing. Yeah, it's, uh, it is ongoing and you have to continue to be really strategic and thoughtful about it. Uh, we call it, um, our developing of the knowledge, will, and skill of leaders. And a lot of them come with the will, but knowledge and skill might be, uh, where they might need some growth. Uh, so we do it, uh, really intentionally and we've gotten better and better about it. And, um, we tend to, I think, for our leaders and for our teachers and classified staff, we tend to think that if we shelter information, that that is helpful to them. When instead, giving information, information yeah. is power, information is growth. So trying to be opened up and much more transparent uh, with all kinds of things helps people grow their knowledge, will, and skill um, in the organization. So that's uh, one way we've We've done it. We um, also with our leaders, we've kept really focused on our equity work, which is a soil building, Mm -hmm. really soil building work. We're doing it also with the rest of the organization. But for our leaders in learning about and having that space to understand others and understand uh, people and understand how our kids show up differently than white middle class uh, kids show up or adults show up has really been key. And that's that, again, developing that knowledge, will, and skill of our leaders. And so it has to be ongoing. It has to be all the time. I don't 
ever even leave an interaction with a one of my leaders that I don't circle back around in some way and point out a leadership move. Um, I did that just last week. Um, and um, fascinating was that they like, yeah, I know I'm in the box about that, Christy. I know I am. I'm like, yep, what's your job if you are? Get back out. Yep, that's right. You got to get back out. So um, even though we had already resolved the next steps of what we needed to do to move um, the issue at hand forward, I I paused for a minute, a minute I didn't have um, at that time to talk a little bit about them as leaders. Um, and so, the, and the more I do that, the more others do that, because we can get really uh, frantic in an organization of our size and not attend to the leadership moves. And the more I model them, the more I insist on them, the more I talk about it in every interaction. I think that um, is how it continues uh, to grow. Yeah, I thought, you know, something that you said that really stuck out that I want to come back to is, uh, you know, you mentioned just a, a few minutes ago that we love the seeds because it's a, we can check off the list. You know, we can check the box. I did it, you know, and, and, and we can see the outcome. Whereas the soil be, is a challenge for people to cultivate often. I mean, and it's clearly a challenge. You look at our our world, our organizations, our communities, there's a lot of, of problems. There's a lot of weeds and, and conflict. So it's an indicator that we can do better at cultivating our soil. But the reason why I think it, it, it becomes a challenge is because there's no checklist. There's no box that you can check and say, well, I, I did my, cult, my cultivation of soil. I saw people as people. I cared about them and I was accountable. Done. Now I can move on. Where those things are, that's just a way of Arbinger says a way of being. It's a way of living. It's it's a way that we see our our work, and it requires constant, constant, constant effort. It's like uh, you know, I think of my my marriage. If I'm not constantly working on bettering my marriage and cultivating it and making it what it needs to be, then it will surely fall apart. And the same thing goes as leaders in our organization, if uh, or and in our communities, if we're not constantly cultivating the soil and doing our part to be accountable, to see people, to deeply see them. Uh, then it's surely going to do the opposite. Weeds are going to grow. Our soil is going to become toxic and we're going to lose our way. And it, it's hard to get back from there. But um, can you speak a little bit to that that uh, dynamic of seeds are sometimes easier because I can check it off and I can see the tangible result versus soil. I can't check it off and I, I don't always see the immediate impact. Yeah, for me, it's gotten easier because of my position in a large organization. Like I very rarely get to check something off my list because I don't, the, my list is um, about uh, leadership of people versus doing things. Mm -hmm. So that part has become easier for me as a leader. But uh, one of the things I have um, really tried to live by is this notion of of trust your gut when it comes to people. And if you are feeling dissonance with a person, that probably means you haven't spent enough time with the person. Yeah. And to slow yourself down enough to cultivate that. And my best examples when I was an elementary principal, if I left the parking lot still worrying about the mad parent, I'd made a leadership mistake. Because if I'd have just stayed in the school long enough to finish the phone call with the upset parent, I would have um, left them feeling better 
they wouldn't have spent the whole night getting more angry and my day the next day would have been better because they wouldn't they'd at least would have known I had attended to their their needs at the time and if you are um, a leader as leaders we have to really be thoughtful and trust that and so in my day I think about who are the people in my day that I need to spend time with cultivating Mm -hmm. the soil and that should be a as a leader a fairly big portion of my day, even though I have a, I might have a ton of things to check off my list. Um, so that's um, how I think about it. Um, my day as a leader in a complex organization, I think 90% of my day should be cultivating the soil. Yeah. I love that. And, and I actually think that's a, that's a great answer to the question I asked earlier of who, 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 you know, what are the, the balance of resources in terms of who's dedicated their time to cultivating the soil? And I think you answered it. It's the leaders. That is, you know, their number one one job. And going back to what how you started just this last bit with is, you know, you, you've gotten used to not having a checklist. And that's uh, that's hard for a lot of people. We like to see that we've done something and, and we check it off and it feels good. And we have to be comfortable with not having that anymore because our number one goal, and I'm, you know, I'm young in my leadership years, but I've been learning this clearly that our job as leaders is not always the bottom line, you know, in business or in, in, in your industry, the graduation rates, those are a key part of what you're doing, but your job is to develop and nurture the leaders in your, in your organization. And you mentioned earlier, you're five times removed from the students. So it's not like you're teaching the kids and directly, you know, interfacing with them. That's what the teachers and and the frontline individuals at schools are doing. Um, and there's so many layers in between and each of those layers um, you know, the, the, the layer above will say their job is the layer beneath, you know, the, the leaders and the individuals beneath them and, and developing them. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing for leaders to, to hold on to and grasp is one being uncomfortable, being okay with and, and comfortable not having a checklist to check off and, and to understand that their number one job and their number one role is the people specifically the leaders that directly report to them. If you're doing a good job there, they're going to do a good job and it's going to be this ripple effect. And to not shy away from the leadership moves, you need to make two or three steps below you in the chain of command too. I have a student who started emailing me the other night in a board meeting. I have no idea who this student is. I have not met her. Uh, For some reason, she found my email and has decided to email me. And, um, (laughs) I still don't know why it might've been related to the superintendent of the year award maybe. Um, but I have a zoom meeting with her on Friday. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have to, I don't have time to do that for every student, but, um, even to pay attention to, for whatever reason, I've got this, um, young female at one of yeah. our high schools who's reached out to me that just wants to have a zoom meeting with me. Yeah, so, I think that's wonderful. Okay. Yeah, and good for her. Good for you're her. Famous. I was, absolutely. I, 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 cannot, absolutely. I cannot wait but, to meet Tiffany. But you see, I think that's really um, speaks to the complexity of the role that you're in and the environment that you operate in. Because here we are talking primarily about the adults in the, in the system mm-hmm. that, that you have to cultivate the soil and they're a big part of the soil and the relationships and the trust. We have the students And then I actually want to bring us back to this even broader context of soil that you operate in, which is the community. Yeah. So um, if you could just touch on that a little bit in terms of 
how through your leadership, you're cultivating that soil as well, which is really equally important because a lot of your staff members live in the community mm-hmm. and you don't want their you don't want the way they show up at work to only be for work. You want them to show up that way, to show up in their best in the community as well. So if you could speak to that, because I think that is also an an incredibly important part of your leadership, and that is enhancing and cultivating and improving the community soil to be better. Yeah, that's a whole nother part of my position that we just haven't talked about, but is also a critical um, place. And I think that what I, the way I cultivate is, it is just showing up with presence and having deep relationships with people that, um, I trust that I care about as people. And I either am invested in their organization in some way, either financially or with my time, or I just believe in them as leaders. And so, um, I just show up, um, seeing them as people. And and also believing that they come with a set of assets that can make me better as a leader. Um, after I um, was got my award last Monday, I started going through my head of who contributed to who I am today. And so then you think about um, even leaders within this community that um, have made me better as a leader. So when you show up in this stance of I'm not helping them be better, but they're also helping me be better. It's really um, the place that it's important then to invest your time. And this community has um, just um, amazing people in it that show up every day to improve our community, whether it's for kids or the adults. And they uh, compliment my leadership. And I think I compliment theirs. So that that presence and really knowing people, knowing who they are, knowing them by name, knowing their hopes and dreams and their own struggles is also, I think, what cultivates our community. So that's been the other place that I really try to show up with my time. So whether it's through the chamber or the work we've done around Tech, the business community, the music functions, uh, the rotary functions, just to try to network in a way that people know me, they know who I am, they feel like they can uh, call me and vice versa that I can um, do the same for them. And because of that, I'm a better leader. Um, I'm a better leader because of Aunt Olivia at the coalition. I'm a better leader because of uh, Willie with the Oregon Black Pioneers and Benny with the NAACP. Um, I'm a better leader because of Adriana Miranda at um, CASA um, because they uh, show up for me in a way that gives me perspective that I don't have um, myself as a middle class white woman. Yeah, the the larger scale that our soil grows, you know, going from our families, you know, our personal soil, our families, and then to our organization, and then to our community, the the broader it gets, the bigger it gets, and the 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 higher need to to have people like that that can help us um, see and in the areas of our soil where we just simply can't, um, I think is a is a really vital component to to our work and cultivating it. Well, and even our. Uh, leaders in the business community who have um, an interest in our school district that can be the best it can be because a a strong, vibrant school district helps helps business too. Um, And to show up not um, just within our uh, community-based organizations, but also within our business community who show up every day uh, wanting to do the right work in our community as well. 
and um, some of the leaders in our business community too are leaders that make me be a better leader yeah. as well. Yeah, I feel Jason, like Jason, LT, Chris, Salam, <laughs> you know, those people. Yeah, we're just waiting to hear our names. <laughs> yeah, a, Tom at the chamber, you know. <laughs> uh, no, um, we, we're, I feel like we've barely started to scratch the surface, but we're almost out of time. So we just have a time for a few more questions. Um, but, you know, I was curious, and you've touched on this in, in various occasions throughout our short time already, but what are your what are the biggest struggles that you face as a leader in education, you know, personally, uh, not per se as a superintendent, but just as Christy, what are the biggest challenges that you sometimes keep you up at night? There's too many to count right now. We're in a pandemic, Kristen. <laughs> I need to tell you that. I had that next to my note. <laughs> no. I said, keep in mind 2020, the year. Keep in mind 2020, <laughs> the year. Yeah, oh, yeah. And we had a bunch of wildfires recently. So, um, but I think what keeps me up at night as a leader is uh, when you lead from this relationship stamp stance in a large organization, it takes a toll on you that's different than if you just show up as a business pragmatic systems leader. When you show up believing in people and investing mm -hmm. in people, you put so much into that that at times it can become exhausting. Yeah. So that's kind of what keeps me up at night is how do I stay um, energetic enough? Because sometimes like you just don't want anyone else to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to admit that. Like mm -hmm. I really, I just need it quiet right now, um, which doesn't happen very often to me. But the truth is people don't know this, but I'm actually an introvert. And so, um, and the way introverts recharge is by having time alone. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't get very much time alone. And my husband gets a lot of time alone because I work a lot. So, you know, he's not anxious. And he for drives quiet. those big trucks he's, too. So his work, he's literally by himself, he's, right? He's by himself yeah. and I'm with people. And I'm an introvert that needs to have some by myself time. So how do you uh, honor that he doesn't need by himself time? And, um, but also do that recharge yeah. of, of yourself. So I think that's what keeps me up at night. I also, because I lead with my heart, I'm sometimes disappointed mm. in people. And when that takes some heart wounds that I have to then uh, be really sure that I don't let those turn into such lack of trust where it skews your view yeah. um, and you don't show up uh, really open hearted at times. So you can get burned a little bit and you feel yourself step back and you have to figure out, OK, how do I get back in the game? Because if I'm not in the game, if I'm not in the arena, um, then I shouldn't be here anymore. But when you lead with your heart and when you lead with relationships, that's what's at risk. Yeah. And when you feel that, and I just pay attention to what I feel and how I feel about things, then it helps me figure out, okay, how do I get over that and come back um, into the arena? Because that's, that's where the work happens in that messy time in the arena with all of us right now. So, so what inspires you, Christy? I mean, you lead, you described yourself um, and, and I totally agree. And I admire your leadership. You lead with heart and passion and care for people, because if I bring us back to the rooted leadership framework, you see people and you see people deeply and you recognize the humanity in in all of them. So what inspires you? What inspires you? The person, not not the professional, but the person. What inspires you? And I would even add to say who inspires you or inspired you to be who you are today? 
Gosh, well, I think what inspires me is probably our kids, you know. So when I'm uninspired, I try to get some kids kid time. Um, you know, I'm inspired by my own kids, you know, my grandkids. Um, but um, when I see kids do really re- remarkable things, that's really inspiring me. So the teaching and learning of our business is very inspiring. So right now I'm trying to figure out how do I get on to some Zoom classrooms because I can't show up to classrooms now mm. physically um, because I need some of that. Uh, I need to see kids learning right now because that inspires me. So um, I'm probably just inspired by people in general and about how uh, we as humans show up in this world yeah. and um, care for each other. Um, I had great uh, role models growing up, strong females. You know, my my uh, grandmother uh, went to school in a one room schoolhouse, Smith River um, by Reedsport, you know, so did very had very little access to larger community but uh when about in the 60s she's the one that started kindergarten in Reeseport, Oregon who knew kindergarten was a thing so yeah so I've had these great females you know another second mom was teacher of the year my mom was a school board member so you know Kathleen Hanneman just great people along the way that good people good great people, people. Yeah. absolutely yeah that's, that's what it is yeah we if we all pay attention we have great models. We just have to be sure that we look for models that aren't just like ourselves. Yeah. Um, because when you surround yourself with the people that you are mod- you're trying to model your leadership after that are just like you, it doesn't actually grow your leadership. It just reinforces mm-hmm. um, yeah. who you are. Yeah. Even though like a Kathleen Hanneman, there's a lot about Kathleen that is a lot like me, her care for people, you know, so so you aspire to be that, but you also have to have models that aren't just like you. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, there's a lot of great um, leaders and, and people to look up to as examples. We just need to pay attention. I like that. And I remember my question. Okay, I'm ready now. <laughs> and it's very similar to what Salam just asked, but um, the question was, you know, we talk a lot about in the Rooted Handbook and, and throughout our leadership program, we talk a lot about purpose and especially in our soil section as a key element to seeing people deeply leaders and people that do that one of the number one things attributes that they have is we we call it they're rooted in meaning that they know what their why is they know what their purpose is they know what wakes them up in the morning and it's a purpose that goes far beyond where they work um who's in their family uh i call it the extreme purpose like we all need to have extreme purpose in life um, that drives us. And it doesn't matter if we're a superintendent or an accountant or a bus driver or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever industry that we're in, the purpose stays the same. And, um, I think it's, you know, personally, I think it's important to define it and know what it is and, and, and quickly, you know, be able to reference it. But, uh, for everybody it's different. Um, and sometimes it's, it's so personal to us. We don't always know how to put words to it, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what is, what is your purpose? Um, no matter if it was 10 years ago versus now, or one day when you're no longer a superintendent and you're, you're doing something else. Um, what is your, your extreme purpose? What's your, your purpose that you're rooted into? Yeah, I think the stream pur- purpose is kids and making better lives for kids. So even, you know, when I think about where, what will I do after this? Um, it'll have to be something to do with, um, making kids' lives better. 
whether it's, you know, helping my own grandchildren in yeah. that way or, um, you know, the volunteerism, um, that will that will be what it is. Uh, last year, when, before COVID hit, I uh, joined a one classroom in, in our community at Hoover uh, playing the piano for the choir because the choir didn't have an accompanist. They're not going to be a, a school that could pay somebody to do it. And um, I was kind of scared to get back into playing the piano. So I thought, okay, just give me a teacher that will be patient with me. <laughs> and so it, Heidi at Hoover was extremely patient with me. And as I was so nervous that first couple of times just to, and that was again, a rejuvenating moment for me. Like, okay, I'm getting kind of like, I just need to contribute something uh-huh. to kids. Um, so I, I will do something like that too, where I, you know, volunteer in a way that can bring my talents to places that could use them. I have a question for Christy and again, bringing it back to our soil. Mm-hmm. So covid the fires, uh, a lot of the predicaments that we're facing, whether in our personal lives as a result of this or professional life, caused us, I think, at an at a individual level or organizational level to really rethink our soil. So I'm kind of curious about what education looks like in a post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. And as you reflect on the soil, what are some takeaways or some um some seeds potentially you plant, let's mm-hmm. say, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just. Yeah, I think some of the seeds will be, I think the technology innovations will take us in ways we don't expect. And I think that um, because we had to start in comprehensive distance learning, and didn't come back in person. The um, technology innovations and the work with technology will be, will will be forever in some ways how we do business that things will be different um in that way we should show up for kids differently that way we should have the ability to uh, for kid, let's say we have kids at work during the school day and need access to online school that can't get to the teacher how, how do we use technology to solve some of the challenges our kids and families have had yeah. in the past so i think those will really uh, last beyond us i think our um how excited we are for kids when they actually show up in person. (laughs) Well, like we'll never, ever take that for granted again. When those kids walk in the door, we'll be like, oh my gosh. Um, I think we have ways of connecting now on a broader scale than we've ever had before. And we have to keep those and not always go back to just in-person meetings Mm -hmm. because there's some efficiencies we're creating by the, in this virtual world that we just didn't have before. Right. Um, So, yeah. At at a human level, do you think that the educators now have almost a deeper insight into their kids' lives? Totally. Because Zoom essentially um it, it's it's like virtual home visits every right. day mm-hmm. yep and it gives you um a much more enlightened view mm-hmm. of where your kids live what that environment looks like so do you think that that's a yeah. positive thing I think, moving forward yeah i actually th- do think it's a positive thing i think it was uh when we went out in march and focused just that first couple weeks on understanding kids and their families and what their struggles were what I said, it was the best culturally responsive uh, teaching training we ever did. So um, 
because we're in their homes now. So I think um, where our kids come from and what they experience will forever change us as a result of this. And it will be interesting to figure out how do we um, change how we ask parents to show up. In the, you know, we had a um, IEP meeting last year that was conducted virtually in the living room of the family, and they took the student off of an IEP. So the whole family got to be there and witness this opportunity virtually with a case manager that um, were there to, and, you know, huge celebration of the family. And so, you know, do we still have to have teachers or parents come to school to have a parent teacher mm-hmm. conference? I don't. I don't know that we have to do those things for parents who are just getting off work and and don't have any time to get there. Can we show up differently for them? So I think some of those things will definitely um, last. Are there things that we used to do that we no longer need to do? (laughs) Well, I'm going to and we're not ever going to have a snow day again. So I'm just telling you that now. You heard it here first. <laughs> no snow, more I'm snow now days. I've now said it publicly, no more snow days, because if we see snow in the forecast, we will just say, hey, take home your Chromebook. We're Tomorrow is a comprehensive virtual, distance learning day. day. Tomorrow you, is you virtual. You have a protest on your hand by students who want the snow day. I know. Want they'll the want day. the snow day. But, you know, those five o'clock, is it, is it bad? Is it not bad? Is it? Is can we travel on the roads? Can we yeah. not? We'll just say yes. plan ahead. Conference can virtu- relate to those. Yeah, <laughs> virtual, virtual yeah. Uh, school day I tomorrow. And then well, if the snow doesn't show up, oh well, already called anything. it. Yeah, we didn't right. lose anything. Counted as instructional day. Yeah. Well, um, there's so much more we can dive into. We got to wrap up. I want to end. I always end with this question. Uh, but you know, if you if you could, you had a group of leaders with you. You can think of any group. You can think of all the leaders in everywhere and you had one you know what would you share to, with them if you had one sentence two sentences to a paragraph what would you say i would say the most important thing you can do as a leader is to just be kind <laughs> show up kind show up caring about people and surround yourself with people that don't that aren't the same leaders you are when you hire yourself time and time again you're going to have an organization of yourselves yeah. and no one should want an organization of themselves. Yeah. So that's good. That's, that's, that's good. my quote of the day. No she one should hired, want an organization she, of themselves. You just hire yourself. You're going to have an organization of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Which in my case would be, you know, totally heart driven. I wouldn't have anyone pragmatic being like, come on, Christy, get through things. We just, you know, show up kind. Show up kind. Yeah. Hire people that don't lead like you lead. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Well, Although we could spend a lot more time, you know, in dialogue, appreciate the time that you gave us. We know that you're really busy. Uh, I said this when we started, but I admire you and Thanks. and look up to you and appreciate all that you do for our community. Um, so appreciate you coming on today. Thanks. Yeah. Salem Kaiser is a great place to be. Awesome. Salam, any last words? No, just uh, thank you. And uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, congratulations again for being Superintendent of the Year. Thank you. And uh, thank you for what you do in this community. Yeah, thank you. It's a great place to be. All right. All right. You heard it, everyone. Uh, Thank you for joining again on another episode of the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Until next time, stay safe.